It's not uncommon to talk to a married couple who don't really understand how God can use them as a married couple. Yes, individually, God's using them, but how about as a married couple? Well, what about people who are single? A lot of singles say, God can't use me, it's just little old me. That is not true. That's exactly what we're going to be talking about in today's podcast. So turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and let's get into it. What's up, my friends? Welcome to Stand Strong in the Word podcast. Jason Jimenez with you as always. Blessed to be with you guys as we dive into our study here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to be looking at verses 25 through 40, and the title is Serving God in Marriage or in Singleness. So this is podcast 237, and we're blessed that you guys continue to faithfully listen to this podcast, download this podcast, and we encourage you guys to continue to repost and share it out there so that other Christians, just like you guys, can stand strong in the word as well. That is our prayer. That is our desire to be grounded in God's word, to love God's word. And I got to tell you, when you dive into these things, these topics, they have not been easy. So if you missed any previous podcast leading up to this in our series in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and of course the totality as we chronologically work our way exegetically verse by verse through Paul's epistles, I encourage you guys, wherever you get your plat, your, your podcast form, whatever the platform is, make sure that you guys tune in, listen, whether it's SoundCloud or you know uh, Apple, um, even Amazon Music, and leave us a review. Let us know. Uh, and let people know how this podcast is blessing you. So you guys can also contact us at info at standstrongministries.org. But we're going to be diving into another phase of this discussion that Paul's really pastorally and fatherly laying out. Because again, when you're dealing with someone's marriage or you're dealing with somebody's struggle in singleness, whether they lost a spouse and this whole issues surrounding, well, what do I do next? Should I get married? Can I get married? Is it biblical? Is it right? Is it wrong? People are always going to have their opinions, my friends. And of course, if you've listened to any of the previous podcasts leading up to this, there's a lot of passion in my voice because as a pastor through the years, God has allowed me, been invited in to a lot of families and who've shared and divulged a lot of private information, struggles, sins, compromise, infidelity, Yes, there's been couples who've come into my office through the years and I thought they were going to make it. They thought they were going to make it and they didn't make it. And that's sad. You see what it does to not only them as a married couple and this brokenness and the divorce. And of course, we know that divorce rates are skyrocketing. But what it does to the children. I was just talking to a divorced couple who have a child or two between the two of them. And it's just devastating to see how the two children as they've gotten older into their adult years have still lived a life of distance, regret, uh, fear in their life. And even though divorce happens a lot, unfortunately, doesn't mean that we should downplay it and just become like a normalized thing in our culture. So when we talk about serving God in marriage or singleness, let's understand that there are going to be different walks of life that all of us listening to this podcast come from. I've been blessed and very, very grateful, as many of you guys know, on this podcast. My wife, Celia, and I have been married for over 22 years as I'm recording this episode. And we have four beautiful children. 
and we're blessed as a married couple. She's my best friend. Now we've had our trying times in our early years as well, but through the years we've learned uh, as we submit one to another in the fear of the Lord, Ephesians 5.21, and husbands dwell with your wives in understanding and wives see that you respect your husbands. When you follow the biblical mandates of scripture, my friends, I'm telling you, this is God's truth. When you allow the Holy Spirit to work in and through you and you seek to please and to treasure and to meet the needs of your spouse above your own, it's a wonderful thing. It's a beautiful thing. And that's what God intended marriage to be. And so there are people right now, maybe listening, you're struggling in your marriage. And you're thinking, how God's not even using me as an individual. And I, I'm not really getting along with my spouse. How can God use me in my marriage? God can. And he desires to use you in that capacity. Or maybe you're listening and you have been recently divorced and you're single now. And you're thinking, what, what, what can God do in my life. I'm just, I have a failed marriage and, and I've disappointed myself and my family and, or I'm living back with my parents. I never thought in a million years this would happen. And you know what? I pray for you guys. I know there's a lot of our faithful listeners out there who've gone through a lot of pain. And so Paul, with that same heart, I want to come across because I love Paul's heart, my friends, dealing with a lot of these complicated, complex things when it deals with people's relationships. So whatever the case may be, as we read this passage, I pray it blesses you guys. So let's just dive right in and see what this word has to say uh, to each one of us in the circumstances that we find ourselves in. So verse 25 says, Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the world, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. And then he who marries his betrothed does well. And he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is, 
and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. Now, if you're already confused by just reading those verses from verses 25 through 40, you are not alone. I got to tell you guys that I was actually very reluctant even jumping into this podcast, looking over my notes. And, and of course, any podcast that I do, any, any time I do a Bible teaching, you do want to make sure that it's spirit-filled and that I faithfully was devoting to the art and science of biblical interpretation. And this one is very hard. And there's going to be aspects where I'm just going to tell you guys, I think this is what he's saying in the text. I'm not sure. Maybe if I spend another week or two or a few months or a few years, maybe I'll understand or maybe I won't until we go to heaven. And of course, that's a lot of times when I'm reading scripture. I'm like, well, I'll just ask the Lord when I'm in heaven or I'll just ask Paul, right? Um, So this is certainly a very difficult passage. So let's begin, shall we? Now, leading up to this, if you guys remember the previous passage, we were talking about circumcision and being a bondservant and using that illustration, that picture, if you will, not about slavery, like in terms of North Africa, but physical slavery we know is an abuse, okay? And it displeases God. So in no way, shape, or form was Paul condoning slavery. What he was saying was, he was talking about um, if you have an opportunity where you be able to pay back your freedom, then to do so. And just like being a bond servant, we are now a, you know, who's free. We are a free man in Christ and being a bond servant of Christ. He, he, he was applying this concept that we are no longer slaves to sin, but we're alive in Christ Jesus. Okay. So when we keep this concept of being free, being a free man, being a free woman, this is what we have to put in context of marriage and singleness. It's what you've been called to and whatever God has called you to do and how to live. It's not burdensome. It's not restrictive, okay? It's not to harm us. It's to benefit us. It's, it's actually more fruitful and beneficial and productive. So we have to keep this in mind as we're now talking about marriage and singleness. Now, what Paul does is he moves into verses 25 through 40 to give us practical advice according to the principles that he just talked about in verses 17 through 24, what I just told you as an overview. Now, if you need to pause this and go back to that previous one, I encourage you guys to do that. But first off, notice the moment he jumps into this next phase now concerning the betrothed. So this is a specific audience of individuals. In the Greek, it is a virgin and it's also in the feminine. So when he's referring to the betrothed here, he's he's referring to women who are engaged to be married. Now, when he says my judgment, this is important because unlike unlike the um, topic of marriage, for example, in verses 10 through 11, There was nothing on record of Jesus speaking directly on the matters at hand. So what Paul's doing, once again, this is why we have to understand this. He is in territory where where Jesus did not specifically, when Jesus talked about marriage in Matthew chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 19 and other passages, certainly he used the, the, the model that we know from the book of Genesis, right? So he's saying that marriage is between a man and a woman. But when it comes to specifics of being betrothed, being engaged, and, and struggling with your passions, obviously there are principles that Jesus talked about lust and, and what's a sin and to, and to pluck out your eye and cut out your hand. Again, hyperbole, but talking about how we're to remove sin out of our lives. That certainly is there. But these are specific things that the Corinthians were dealing with. And so Paul knowing that he doesn't have on record specific things Jesus talking about. So he, what he does is he offers the best counsel. Okay. I've been in these situations. I'm sure you've been in these situations when you're like, okay, 
you know, the Bible doesn't specifically address these type of things, right? It's just like it, it, we don't have a theological uh, creed in the Bible for the Trinity, all right? It's implied in the text, right? And through that, we are, we're trying to make a, a doctrine that's biblically grounded in Scripture to defend, right, the Trinity. And so what Paul's doing here is he's giving his best counsel. This is not a command when it comes to married couples, when it comes to virgins who are betrothed, when it comes to singles, and when it comes to widows. So we have to keep that in mind. As an apostle who's being inspired by the Holy Spirit, he pastorally is trying to give the best, just like when a couple comes to me and says, you know, we're struggling in fighting and communicating, and, you know, we get into a lot of arguments, and we've been disrespectful to each other in front of our kids. What should we do? That's going to vary. Obviously, you're going to be pulling scripture in Ephesians chapter 4. You're going to be looking at marriage vows and, and the role and responsibilities of marriage in Ephesians 5 and Colossians chapter 3 and elsewhere. But then the counsel that you're going to be providing them, you're going to be saying, okay, my judgment, meaning my professional opinion, that's what Paul's doing here. So let's not think that when he says my judgment, saying this is not of God, and he's speaking out of line. That's not the case here. So knowing that, let's see what he offers here. When he was facing persecution, and he certainly was, if you go in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 30 through 31, he talked about the danger he was in, okay? So when he says, I think in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. The present distress, I believe that Paul more than likely was referring to, was probably this famine that occurred that we see in documents historically that happened in Greece in AD 51 to AD 52. That, of course, had its after effects um, at this point in time later in the 50s when he's writing this letter. And because there was a lot of poverty, there's a lot of people who were homeless, unemployed, he was saying to them, like, look, maybe it's not wise economically right now in your guys' situation given... Um, the, the persecution that some of you Christians are faced with, uh, with your pagan friends because you converted, you left paganism for Christianity. So maybe it isn't wise. Maybe it is actually easier for you as a single person to live through a crisis rather than get married and raise a family in it. That's actually good advice. How many times have we given that kind of advice where people say, hey, listen, save your money. Right now, you guys don't need to rush into marriage. You know, this is a wise counsel that you're providing a couple who love each other and are not sure whether they should get married right now during COVID. For example, I talked to some couples who were thinking about getting married during COVID. Some of them chose not to, and they they held off thinking that, you know, COVID was going to be away, you know, go away and, and people are not going to be locked down anymore. And then, of course, that didn't happen in some states. And they just said, okay, we're going to get married. But others didn't want to get married right away because nobody can come to the wedding. So again, there are going to be some valid reasons, they're not excuses, valid reasons as to why people will wait to get married or they are going to get married. So in one sense, Paul's like, hey, consider the present distress, consider the circumstances and see if there's wisdom if you should get married. Then Paul reiterates what he stressed back in verses 10 through 11. When he talked, to a mar- when he talked about a married couple who should remain in their marriage and a single Christian who shouldn't be looking to get married. Now, this is important because in some cases, you know, he's like, look, even if you found yourself in a pagan relationship and you've come to Christ, Paul was encouraging them to say, hey, you could be a witness to this person. Just because you say, I'm a Christian now and they're a pagan, our marriage is is out. Now, there, in some cases, people, they had a marriage contract in the 
the ritualism and the tradition of paganism. And they don't honor that anymore because they're like, I don't worship these false deities. I worship the true and living God. We're going to be looking at that, looking at that in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. So when he's talking about here in verses 27 through 28 about worldly troubles, so we saw that he talked about this present distress and he mentions in the Greek, it's, it's thalipsis and it speaks of the trials and the tribulations in the world. So Paul's making it clear that getting married will require you to have to take care of more than just yourself. My wife and I were just talking about this in the car recently. You know, some of our single friends, it's hard because, and it, you can't fault them. They just don't know. But sometimes when people are just talk, talking about their life as a single person, that's all they have to worry about. And so Paul's saying getting married, that goes away. You have to now worry about you and this person. And of course, if you have children, we know that that, that just continues to compound the situation. Now, that could be good, you know, uh, and sometimes it may not be as wise, okay, because people rushed into it and they couldn't wait. They weren't impatient. So that's a sign of immaturity. So it's not saying that God didn't call them to get, to get married. Maybe it wasn't God moving them to get married right then and there, right? And that's important. Now, the Grace Truth Study Bible says he is not encouraging, that is Paul, he is not encouraging engaged couples to remain engaged but not married indefinitely, he recommends that they wait to marry until the present distress dissipates. But he qualifies that marrying is a valid option while warning that, that married couples will face hardships. So that's a present circumstance that they found themselves in and they needed wisdom and Paul gave it to them. Now he gives advice to the unmarried. So now he's specifying to this unmarried class of people in verses 29 through 31. Now it's important to understand that throughout Paul's letter, Remember, he's encouraging the Corinthians to live their normal lives as they anticipate the return of Christ. Now, let me just give you guys an understanding of how often Paul did this in his letter. Here in chapter 7, verses 1 through 16, talks about waiting for the return of Christ. And then here in verses 25 through 40, that yeah, you're going through present distress. And so when you're looking at your circumstances, whether you're single or married, but he's, he's, he's encouraging to look to the things to come. So for example, when he says here, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing and those who buy as though they had no goods and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. So here Paul's emphasizing saying sometimes we get so fixated on the things of the world, getting married, being married, or remaining single and not liking it, that we can lose sight of how temporal and finite things really are. In chapter 10, verses 23 to chapter 11, verse 1, in chapter 16, verses 1 through 4, and verses 5 through 11. So again, Paul continues to repeat this theme about the return of Christ and about things passing away. And so when he says here, live as though they had none, Paul uses this phrase, as if, literally in Greek, that's what it means, as they had none, as though, and he does it five times to illustrate how temporal life on earth really is. So really, we're to live life as though, as if, we didn't have this instead of always fixating on what we don't have and what we do have and holding on to it and being paranoid that we're going to lose it. So when he says this present form of this world is passing away, this language is taken from the theater. Isn't that amazing? This language is taken from the theater and, and it signifies the changing of scenes. So Paul is pointing to the fact that the world is temporal. It's fleeting. 
And he's preparing the Corinthians, just like you're going through different scenes of life, like you're watching a play. And we know back in the ancient times how they would do those transitions. It was very obvious, right, to the eye. And and when I was when I took my daughter, it reminds me for her graduation, my wife and I, we took her to England and we got to go to London. And what a wonderful time that was. And we got to see Les Mis. And now theatrically amazing the production was outstanding and the transitions of the different scenes what they did live on stage is incredible I mean, that's a high-end professional way but back here it was so much more obvious about the changing of the scenes right and paul's using that to convey how we go through different seasons of life as well and so rather than getting caught up in the ways of the world, we are to make sure that we are focusing on what matters the most. Now, W.E. Vine, he interprets Paul's meaning this way, quote, the meaning is not, of course, that a married man is to refrain from behaving as a husband should, but that his relationship to his wife should be entirely subservient to his higher relationship with the Lord, who is to have the first place in the heart he is not to permit a natural relation to obstruct his obedience to Christ and vice versa with the woman to her husband. So our relationship with Christ comes first, but not to the degree of saying, I'm out because I love God more and you don't. That's not a valid reason to divorce. That's not what he's saying. Now, in verses 32 through 34, the primary focus of Paul talking about them wanting to be free from their anxieties is again, married people, their responsibility, and I know this as a married man with four children, is to support my spouse and my children. And even running Stand Strong Ministries, and prior to that being a pastor for 16 years, you know, my responsibility was, yes, is always to the Lord. And then he brings a godly wife into my life that I am to wash in the water of God's word and to care for and to love as Christ loved the church and to train up my children in the ways of the Lord. So even though I'm doing that on this podcast with you guys in my books and speaking um, in articles, I'm looking to advance the kingdom. But yes, there are many times. Matter of fact, before I even got on this podcast in studio, I had a conference call with a, with a church in a school that was reading Parenting Gen Z, my book with Focus on the Family. And, you know, I may not be able to do this event with them because I'm already, you know, booked with some other events and I don't want to do more and be away from home and just be on the road. There's a time when you have to just say, no, I, I need to be with my family. I need to be in my local church. I need to be fed by my pastor. I need to be around my kids. I don't want to always be gone. So notice those are priorities. Now, if you're single, hey, you could just continue to do it. And so see, there's the difference. A single person, on the other hand, they're not tied down with as much. And they're able to prioritize more on ministry concerns. That doesn't mean that they're going to be more productive in ministry, but they have less concern. They don't have to weigh options with their spouse or with their kids because they don't have any, right? And again, that's not a bad thing. And that's the thing I was saying in the opening. Married people have to see how God could be using their marriage in ministry. And the other thing is, and that's how I weigh it, you know, with the help of my wife and people who consult in my life and speak truth into my life is it's not just that I'm doing ministry when I'm speaking, writing, etc. I'm doing ministry as I love my wife. I'm doing ministry as I train up my children in the ways of the Lord. And yes, I'm also doing ministry then when I do go speak and do those kind of things. And the single person is the same when God calls you to go do something. So those are the primary focuses for a married person versus uh, a single person. 
So when he says here in verse 35, I say this for your own benefit, again, Paul's not issuing mandates for the Corinthians to obey. He is simply giving instruction and making wise decisions as they remain devoted to serving the Lord. And then later in the letter, what Paul will do is he's going to commit, he's going to comment on uh, the liberty to marry if someone desires. So again, we can't see this in, pa- in here in this passage because in the next two chapters, he's going to be talking about, hey, if you're at liberty to marry and that's what you desire, then get, get married. He even spoke about himself. He says, this is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and even Peter, 1 Corinthians 9, 3 through 5? So if Paul wanted to get married, that wouldn't say that he's diminishing his responsibility or compromising his responsibility as an apostle. But certainly if he was married, there probably would have been a lot of travels that he probably would have done. And so this is something that Paul's addressing. And then he talks about here in verse 36, that if anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his beloved, this is where things get confusing because he's thinking, okay, is he talking about the husband who helped put together this proposal between a man and his daughter? Or is this talking about the future husband of the betrothed, the virgin? And talk about whose passions here. And if he so wishes, let them marry. It is not a sin. All right. So this is where it gets a little confusing. So bear with me. Paul reverts to what he said back in verses 26 through 28 for a bit more clarity. Now, again, you're thinking, what did he say in verses 26 through 28? Again, what we just saw was when he says, I think that is in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. So depending on your status, married or single, this is what Paul is going to be bringing in some more clarity now in verses 36 through following. Some scholars believe Paul is referring to the daughter's father who arranged his daughter's marriage. Others believe Paul is providing counsel to a man betrothed to his wife-to-be. Now, I like what the Believer's Bible Commentary says. It says, looking at verse 36 in greater detail then, we take it as meaning that if a man has come to full manhood, and if he does not feel that he has the gift of continence, he does not sin in marrying. He feels that the need requires him to do so, and so he should do what he wishes in this case, that is, get married, end quote. And I think that that's what he's saying. Listen, when you are engaged to a person that you are attractive to, that you love physically, emotionally, spiritually, right? God has put the two together. It, it is natural to have the sexual desires to be together. So if you are truthful about that if you're honest about that and you have accountability in your life and you guys are talking about that and you guys say listen we're going to get married because we want to be together it is not a sin now when you give the current crisis that corinth was facing paul was giving his opinion to delay some people from getting married unless of course the two believe that god wanted them to marry and they wanted that that's not a sin if you guys could go before god and believe that god has put you guys together and you have that conviction then get married Now, in verse 37, when he says, but whoever is firmly established in his heart being under no necessity, but having his desire under control and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So Paul's not disregarding marriage. He's simply pointing out that a person who is single has less concern in their life and can be more readily available to serve the Lord. And again, there are some people who says, I'd like to get married someday. 
may may have some sexual desires that they are in some cases suppressing or really trying to work, you know, with self-control and and to overcome them. And most of the time when I talk to single people, it dissipates. It's not something that it consumes them. There are some times where I'm counseling somebody who's single and they want to get married, but they're content in their singleness, but they have some sexual desires. Sometimes they'll they'll masturbate, sometimes they'll look at porn and they, they, they're seeking that kind of gratification because they feel alone. And that's certainly the case with a lot of men. Um, and certainly my wife has counseled with women. And of course, in a lot of my therapists, Christian, Christian counselor friends, we've talked about just, just what's happening among singles. And there's a lot of access, as you and I know, to a lot of dirty, sick, twisted things out there. So a lot of singles are in bondage. And so then they don't think that they're marriage material because of an addiction. And that's certainly the case. And that's another thing that I would present in this equation here with some of the complexity that goes into deciphering whether somebody is marriage material or they should be getting married or not. If there are things in your life that you're struggling with, particularly if it's porn and masturbation, and you think, well, I have these desires and so I'm going to go look for a wife so that they can fulfill these desires. That is not the right course of action. And so we have to make sure that we're applying the wisdom that Paul's presenting here as we seek to serve the Lord because that is the greater good in all this stuff. Now, in the last portion here, when he's talking about a wife that has bound her husband as long as he lives, but of course, if the spouse dies... Now, clearly if a spouse dies, the widow or the widower is free to remarry, but only if that person is a fellow Christian. Only if they're a fellow Christian. Now, Paul offers the same counsel, and this is important, so he mentions this elsewhere in Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 3. Notice what he says, Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. So again, clearly going in the context of Paul talking in 1 Corinthians 6, not being unequally yoked, being the temple of the Holy Spirit, if your spouse dies, okay, that happened to my dad. He, my mom died and he remarried and he married a Christian. Okay, that is not wrong. If they so desire that, that God had put them together, they're not committing adultery. So that's clear, it's pretty cut and dry there. And again, what we talked about in, in the other uh, passages, particularly the opening of chapter seven, we're talking about abuse. Okay, so it's not just infidelity and it's not just death where a person can remarry and marry another Christian, right? I also believe that if someone is faith, faith, you know, who's unfaithful and who's not committing to their conjugal rights that we saw in another podcast, you check that out before, I think it was podcast 234-235, um, that is grounds for divorce because that is not faithfully loving that person. And so if that person tried to make it work, tried to get help for them and their family, but that person was unwilling and maybe in some cases with the abuse deserted them, that's grounds for divorce. And I believe that person, when the time comes, when they fall in love with somebody who's a Christian and godly and a care for them, they can remarry. Okay? And they're not committing sin. But again, it's a case-by-case -case basis. You can't just give that counsel to anybody 
you know, you have to sit with these people and work with some of the complexity um, and, and not to um, overly examine it, but not to brush it aside. And that's so important, my friends, to say that because your guys' lives matter and the decisions you make and the relationships that you have matter. Okay, and sometimes we jump into relationships, sadly with a lot of people, they jump into relationships that are not healthy and they're not good. And they think getting married is gonna solve it. It's gonna get better and it doesn't. And so now years later with children, their marriage is a mess. And they said, we fell out of love. And so to prevent even that happening, it's better to remain single than to jump into marriage, think it's gonna make you happier. Because notice it says, yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is I think that I too have the spirit of God. At the end of the day, Paul's kind of throwing a little sarcasm there, but it's also a way to caution the Corinthians not to disregard his wise counsel, but to those people who are single saying, hey, make sure that you are serving God to the best of your ability. And if you're not, don't try to get married and then think you can serve the Lord. Serve him well now. And as you do that, if God has called you to marriage, it will be clear in your life. So my friends, I pray that that has helped you, whether you're married or single, let God use you in your marriage. If you're single, let God use you in your singleness and be content because God doesn't make mistakes. He loves you. He has a plan for your life. So make sure that you're not letting the ways of this world that are passing away to cause you to be discontent and disoriented but rather putting your faith and trust as you're anticipating the return of Christ, let God use you in your circumstances. So thanks for listening. Until next time, keep standing strong in the word of God. Mm -hmm.